Right then, patrons will know that I've been doing a lot of thinking and talking and dribbling on about Arcana Gravitas, my genre-bending universe, my, I guess it's multi-genre, really, um, game setting that I, I'm imagining and I'm very excited about right now, probably to the chagrin of my regular players who have no idea. Um, anyway, on Sunday... I think I talked about it in the last episode of GM's Journal on Sunday. I made some uh, dungeon tiles using 2.5D stuff from Christian Richards. And while I was doing that, I just couldn't help but imagine Soviet soldiers from World War II going down those tunnels and investigating them. I have this a whole picture of a scenario uh, where the Soviets are assaulting some village somewhere, you know, maybe 1943, 1944, something like that. And the Germans are defending it fiercely because it's a location in the centre of the village. Maybe it could be as cheesy enough to make it a church with a churchyard with a tomb underneath it or something. I don't know. That feels too cheesy. But, you know, you know what I mean. Some kind of secret base or secret thing they've discovered and they're trying to defend it. As the soldiers go down into tombs and we get into a little bit of um, dungeon crawling uh, and then I fire away. I kind of have the idea of... Um, some kind of you know network of tunnels or whatever and they're fighting through that's very world war Two. and then coming to a portal a glowing portal perhaps with runes and stuff and on the other side of it those soldiers can see treasure and you can see great riches and you can also see german soldiers defending it and as they cross the threshold of that portal entering something greater and um initially i had this idea that you know wow it could be a kind of fantasy world on the other side. And then it hit me. This could be a mega dungeon. I mean, what if the mega dungeon itself is a nexus point of portals? And, you know, I can imagine them going through another portal which goes all suddenly sci-fi and they end up, I don't know, on the deck of a starship in the middle of nowhere or some kind of, you know, even maybe a derelict starship going all Space Hulk. Um, I don't know. And maybe they go down a different tunnel and they end up going through another portal and they end up in a... In a different world, a different time, uh, a different reality. Maybe they enter uh, through a fantasy-type portal and come out into my world of Mycovnia. Or maybe there's another portal, even on another level, which leads to a different time period. Uh, maybe they go back to the Roman era or something like that. Anyway, the whole idea was just exciting to me. This idea that we could start a game and we could link games together and scenarios together through a mega dungeon. What could be more kind of old school and cool than that? The Mega Dungeon that is the nexus of all worlds. Oh yeah, I want to play that. Welcome to the Roleplay Rescue Game Master's Journal. My name is Che Webster, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of my own roleplay journey, day by day, week by week. Each journal episode features my audio notes recorded here and there over the days between my regular gaming sessions. Assembled into a rough edit, these notes form a journal and let you take a peek behind the GM screen. But be warned. There are spoilers aplenty for anyone who plays at any of my gaming sessions. GM's Journal has become a popular bonus episode, 
I aim to release each journal after the sessions I am preparing for are over, offering listeners insight into my own creative process. It's a pretty candid and messy snapshot of my inner life as a gamer, so you have been warned. Game on! Oh, damn. Um, I'm just going to drop this little note because I'm off sick. Um, spent last night basically beaning up and then having like really bad sort of fever. I'm not entirely sure whether it's poisoning or whether it's a virus thing, but oh my goodness. I've cancelled tonight's game. I'm not at work. Um, but I just needed to sort of I guess note that, you know, I'm really cheesed off. Right, really cheesed off. I'm losing my Cthulhu game. I feel like crap. So there you go. Hi, Che. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. You mentioned Good Omens, and, you know, that was the first gift my husband ever gave me when I met him. A copy of that book... And I read it and I thought, oh my gosh, how can you not love a man who loves this book? (laughs) So actually, I went the Terry Pratchett road first. I read a lot of Pratchett. I love the audiobooks of Pratchett's work. And then I turned to Neil Gaiman. And um, my son, who's older, he's almost 30 now, he loved Sandman. I really didn't. I'm not a huge fan of like really dark things or really violent things, but he has written some things that I absolutely love. I actually did a special little short episode on his book, Ocean at the End of the Lane, because he really has a unique style and a a very minimalist approach to developing characters that you can really care about. Hey Shay, Evil Jeff with Meaning's Musings. Listening to your Game I Really Want to Run podcast, and you've talked about it in other podcasts as well. And every time I hear you talking about it, you know, the game you want to run, you know, all just unlimited, in the back of my mind, I keep, it just screams, you know, it's, you want a game engine that's genreless or can go across multiple genres. You just need the engine to do it. And in the back of my mind, I'm yelling, GURPS, Hero System, or even Torg, for that matter. So, maybe that's where you really want to go with that. I don't know. I might be just talking out of my hat, but that's just my two cents. Call-ins there from Liren and from Evil Jeff. Thanks, folks. It's really great to hear from you both, and I really appreciate you taking the time to call in. Liren, yeah, uh, Neil Gaiman. I couldn't even remember his name when I did the mentioning of Good Omens. Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Uh, my wife, Deb, is a massive fan of Gaiman, um, and we're both fans of Tra- Terry Pratchett. I-, I started listening to Pratchett, uh, or even reading Pratchett, actually, way, way back at university. Um, so, yeah, and I enjoyed the, the series, and, and it kind of makes me want to perhaps read Gaiman. I don't read enough, um, and it's, you know, time for gaming, time for work, not so much time for reading. Evil Jeff, you're absolutely right, and as you're probably going to hear as you listen through this particular episode of GM's Journal, I took your advice to heart, so, you know, stay tuned. But yeah, man, thanks for calling in. It's really great to hear from you. All the best now.
So I'm feeling considerably better than I was um, at the start of the day. It's the evening, um, sort of early evening, really, Friday. And I, uh, I'm playing with GURPS, actually. The game that I have owned for years, like, well, certainly since 2000, is it 2004 when it came out, something like that? Let's say the start of this book. Um, but this game, you know, I've had since it was released, uh, 2004, so 15 years, and I have yet to really, I mean, I've played the old game, but I've really yet to master it, and I keep talking about it, and I keep investigating it. But I'm really starting to think seriously about multi-genre game. Um, Evil Jeff sent me a message, and he's right. You know, multi-genre game is what I need. And there are a few options. Um, I looked at basic role-playing, and I've looked at Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, um, which I'm waiting for to come in print. It's um, very much what Frank Turfler and I um, have been talking about. But... Uh, GURPS is the game that, for me, ground is grounded enough, um, you know, to feel like the game I want to I want to learn and master. So anyway, what I've decided to do um, is about a learning process again, and I've done this many times over actually over the years. I know the basic rules, so that's not an issue. I just really want to start to master the game, and the only way I can really think about doing that is by a process of Various self-play things, really. Um, now, I'm starting to use this term self-playing as opposed to solo gaming. And what I mean is that with solo gaming, I think that's the whole game experience. That's where I am generating, procedurally generating, really, um, a and interacting with a game, an ongoing, unfolding game scenario. Um, self-play is where I'm doing bits of game. I'm learning bits. Um, and it's usually what I'm actually doing <laughs> when I previously talked about solo gaming. So things like creating characters or running a combat um, or running a very short series of a scene or a couple of scenes, you know, a short sequence of things, a short adventure even possibly. If it's like pre-written, um, it's not really um, truly solo. It's, you know, a game I'm messing around and learning the game. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think as a games master, I think you have to learn the game and master the game and the only way I think you can do that is through a combination of playing it but if you don't have gamers around all the time then you're forced to you know, try stuff out yourself so anyway I fancied having some fun so I've printed off um, a carrot sheet uh, for GURPS and I have pulled up on my iPad a copy of Lands Out of Time for GURPS 4th edition this is uh, one of those E23 uh, source books from, from Steve Jackson Games, um, written intriguingly by a cool guy called Lizard in 2006. Um, but basically what it is, is the genre of humans and dinosaurs. <laughs> um, so getting me started with my multi-genre gaming, I thought it would be fun actually to create a character in a lands out of time kind of game and just like maybe muck around with it a bit. Um, because it's something I really like. And if I can start to learn how to play um, that way, I think that will be fun. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and create a character and uh, see where it takes me.
There you go. All right, so I am denied a bit about what to play, but in the end, I decided to go for a time-lost kid in the lands out of time. And so I've created Billy Michaels, who's a young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy with very pale skin. Um, and he's a 50-point character, which is nice and straightforward. Uh, so 11-year-old kid, basically. And he's out riding his bike. Um, he's gone off into the woods because he wants to practice with his bow and arrow. He's got like a little short bow that he's sort of uh, made himself. little small knife in his pocket. Out on his bike uh, with just a water canteen, jeans and a t-shirt. And he's caught in what in GURPS terms is I suppose calls a, perhaps a bane storm or something like that. And he's swept into the land at a time. And I'm going to use the sort of default setting from that um, that supplement, which is kind of cool. So he's, um, you know, an <laughs> 11-year-old kid, which is going to be interesting. Um, it's an interesting thing, because I've only got, like, seven skills um, and, you know, some advantages as far as 50-point character, not a lot to worry about, and it means I can, like, focus on learning the rules. But at the same time, um, you know, it'll be a bit of a challenge to play with, I think. So, yeah. So we're up to Billy Michaels has entered the uh, has entered the universe. It's Saturday morning and I've um, become inordinately excited about GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. Let me try and explain. So last night, what was it? It was early evening, I suppose. I sat down. We're talking five, six, seven o'clock, and I knocked up that fifty-point character for uh, the dino world kind of setting, which is great and exciting and fun, actually. It really was. So much so that my curiosity then leapt across. I was remembering the encouragement I'd had. And I honestly, forgive me for not being able to remember the person's name off the top of my head, but there's a guy who's basically been running low points GURPS Dungeon Fantasy games and writing about it for a long, long while. And it just got reminded me of that. I went to the Henchman book, book 15 of Dungeon Kurt's Dungeon Fantasy. And in there, you've got the 125 point and the 62 point delvers in. And from there, I got to looking at the first book, Adventures and Dungeons, and just got inordinately excited about it. And I suddenly realised that, yeah, I can play a dungeon fantasy game. It does all the tropes of kind of classic fantasy gaming. But of course, it's GURPS. So you could put whatever you like in it. If you want to go multi-genre, which is what I'm aiming to do, you can draw anything from any source book, anywhere, anytime, and you can blend it in and put it in. So that makes life kind of pretty easy in a lot of ways. Obviously, I've got a learning curve in terms of relearning GURPS, but, you know, I'm most of the way there. Um, but actually, it got me excited. And then that spun off this morning. So this morning, I put together a 125-point uh, character. I used the, I think it's called a footpad or something like that template from Henchman. It's 125-point. I made Goriel as a human, but I made Goriel my classic character again. And um, I just had a lot of fun doing that. And the templates are cool because they allow a lot of choices and a lot of flexibility. Um, I would say probably more flexibility than you'd get from, from most fantasy games. And then 
that instantly made me kind of feel like excited about the dungeon adventure I've been writing. I've been writing this kind of mystery slash dungeon adventure uh, scenario um, for a couple of weeks. And in my head, it's been something I wanted to put into the setting, um, my Covenia setting that I'm playing with the kids and hopefully later with the adults. So yeah, certainly going to write the adventure. But I certainly suddenly thought this would make a really good one-off scenario to introduce people to GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. And I, uh, I suddenly feel really excited to finish it off. I have pretty much the outline of it. Um, if you remember, you remember I did uh, in a past episode the um, the dungeon uh, kind of on the fly thing, and we made a temple. Well, I wanted to use that location, so I've linked it to a mystery, and I'm drawing on all the things I've been talking about over the last few weeks in um, on the podcast, Role Play Rescue, sort of put it together. So I'm quite motivated now um, to create that adventure and finish it off. And I guess, like, because, you know, the adventure and the world are separate from rules that you use to play a game, it's nothing, nothing stopping me running that adventure using castles and crusades or using any other game quite frankly but i want to have a go at writing it and using the gerps dungeon fantasy material because i just kind of got really excited about that and there are elements of weirdness in there if you like um that come from my concept of arcana gravitas and which start hinting at there being the fantasy world not just being a standard fantasy world so I'm really excited about that because those are easy elements to bring in from GURPS. And that's what I'm doing. So basically I've got a load of chores to do this morning. Um, and once that's out of the way, I'm going to sit down and really start getting my head around how to uh, how to get this off the ground. So there you go. By the way, there is a side thought. Um, I've been sitting thinking to myself, well, my guys who I game with on Friday don't want to play GURPS and the kids, uh, GURPS may or may not be the game that we're going to play at school, certainly not at the moment. So why am I doing this? Uh, well, partly for myself, partly for my own excitement and interest, and that's me. Partly it's a longer-term project. Um, a big part of this is that it's a longer-term project that I really want to get involved in making and happen, having happen. Um, and there's nothing to stop me, as I've just mentioned, kind of using other rule systems to play certain adventures. But there's a third thought, which is that we've got, I've got Fantasy Grounds, I'm big on Fantasy Grounds and I like playing online. Fantasy Grounds Unity has just funded and by the end of the year, Fantasy Grounds Unity will be, you know, the go-to um, version of Fantasy Grounds. I've, I've supported it, so I'll be getting a copy and access to that later this year. And it occurs to me that I would like to use the GURPS rule set and perhaps do some gaming online, playing GURPS, using that. I think running GURPS combat with Fancy Grounds, where a lot of things are automated or could be automated, that would be a really big bonus. Um, and, yeah, that kind of thought occurs to me that that's a really cool thing. So, there you go. I'm Ganu. Think about this as a longer-term project. And, I don't know, maybe I can um, persuade somebody to help me kind of savage world it or turn it into um or i can turn it into an amazing adventure game whatever but the important thing is write the scenarios that's where i'm at so i'll stop waffling i'm going to do the chores and i can crack on
All right, so I've just been running myself through a bit of self-play combat. I dug out the Fantasy Trip Malay uh, arena, um, but I'm playing with GURPS and Goriel, who I created earlier. I stuck him in a fighting pit with two goblins, thinking, you know, let's see how this plays out. Nick the goblin stats out of the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, um, which, in case you didn't know, is a slightly different product to GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. Yeah, I know they have the same name. It is like confusing. Um, but hey, you know, they're compatible enough, I think. The stats are broadly dissimilar. Um, I think that what the box game does is it kind of streamlines it and makes it very much a fantasy game and takes out anything that isn't necessary. But anyway, I digress. I've been using the rules, basic rules, from um, GURPS, you know, basic set campaigns and learning to fight using tactical combat. Goriel was taken out very quickly, I think probably about maybe six rounds, seven rounds, total game time about 15 minutes, um, including all the page flipping and reading and learning how to play this again, because I keep having to come back to learning how to play it again. But it was fun, actually, and it was really good and tactically detailed. So I'm going to have a rerun. I'm going to have one-on-one -on -one with Goriel versus the Goblin, because it's very obvious that um, numbers matter. It's a bit like when playing RuneQuest or something like that, you know, numbers hugely matter. Uh, these heroes aren't necessarily the same as sort of D&D can go and can just wade through loads of people. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. I'm enjoying it and I'm just going to have a rerun. Goriel versus the Goblin in the fighting pit. So they both have the same basic speed of 6.00, which means they both move in the same round. But... It's GM's fiat. I'm going to go with the dex, highest dex, and that's Goriel. So Goriel gets to act first. He's going to, um, he's got a ready bow to start with, so he's going to shoot his bow. Um, so the range is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, looking at the table, that's a minus 5 modifier. His bow skill is 13, so he's got to get an 8 or less to hit. Here we go. And that's a miss with... 12. Okay, he can make a one hex step if he wishes. So I'm going to just make him move directly forward one hex. Gobbo. Gobbo is under bit bow fire. Um, he does have a bow, um, but he hasn't got it ready. He's got his shield and he's got his long knife in hand. And what he's going to do is move full out because he knows Goriel's got to reload that bow. So he can move four hexes. So he's going to go one, two. Three, four. <coughs> okay. Um, Goriel's got a ready, so he's readying his bow. He's going to move one hex as his step, and he uses the first of his two ready actions to ready his bow. Goblin continues moving. One, two, three, four. Goriel. He's getting worried about how close that's getting. I'm going to have him step sideways as he readies his second bow action. And in this third second, the goblin moves forward again. One, two, three, <coughs> four. Difficult choice now. Do we try and hold the shot or not? No, got to take the shot. It's two hexes away from me. <laughs> um, just double check in the chart, but I don't think that's a known modifier. And range two. Two yards, yeah, zero. So, straight up shot, uh, requiring a 13. <laughs> Five. 
That's a hit. Well, that's an acceptable roll. So the goblin gets to try and either dodge or block. He's got a shield, so try and block. Only nine. Shield gives him plus one bonus. That's ten. Ten or less to block. He's rolled a seven. Boom. The arrow goes into the goblin's shield. Damn. Um, still get from a shot attack. Still get to be able to um, make a one step up I believe. So hmm. uh, yeah, kind of a step back one, I think. <coughs> Turn and face the goblin. Right, goblin's action. He's going to move an attack. Um he's gonna go one, two, and enter the hex. Right, this is close combat. Now the goblin's got a short, basically a long knife. Um, whereas Goriel's currently got a bow in hand and there ain't much he can do to defend himself right now. Um, using long knife can be used at a, range, a hex, one hex range or in close combat when you're in the same hex, you're sharing half the hex each. So Goriel is now kind of in stuck. Right, the thing is the goblin's making a moving attack. He's at minus four and he can never have higher than nine. His skill is a 13, which makes him nine. So it's a nine. Um, 8, 9, 10, 11. He's missed. <coughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. Goriel, what's he going to do? He's going to ready his um, club. Now, Goriel's got a club, so he's going to... Yeah, hold the bow to one side, pull his white club. He can make a step. Um, he's going to step slightly to the left and back. <coughs> and ready his club. <laughs> That's all he can do. So the goblin is gonna attack. He's gonna step forward into the hex and attack again. Same again. Uh, nine or less. Sorry, thirteen or less to hit. Ten, thirteen is a hit. Right, Goriel gets to try and dodge because he can't parry at close range. Uh, with a club. Nine uh, completely failed. This is not going well. Uh, long knife, bondy cutting. So Goblin gets rolls a two. Goriel's got no armour. So it's a cutting weapon. It's one and a half times. It's three points of damage on poor Goriel. He's reduced from ten hit points to seven. He's got a minus three penalty to his next action. It's either IQ or dex base from pain. This is not good. Um, the only thing I forgot to mention is that in trying to dodge, Goriel's allowed to retreat, and he did pull back a hex, so that's what he did. <clears throat> right, he's got club in end. I think it's going to have to be all right attack and try and take this guy out. It's got a minus three penalty. Now, oddly, this is a weird thing, because I couldn't afford a broadsword, but I have the broadsword skill. He'd liked club, he's used using the broadsword skill, oddly enough. Um... Which I know sounds slightly counterintuitive, but there you go. So, 1d plus 1 crushing. So he's going to swing his light club. So, 14 less 3 is 11 or less. I go for a full strong attack. Full out, all out attack. Can move half and move, but can only move forward. He's mm, going to try and do this, I think. So, it is basically. Um, he gets his in the other extra damage, but there you go. 11 or less. 
rolled 11 exactly. Goblin's got to try and either parry, sorry, or block or dodge or parry. You can do whatever he likes, really. He's going to try and block with a shield. He needs a 10. He's rolled 12. That's a fail. <laughs> Luck might be turning here, Goril. Right, 1D. 1D plus 1 crushing. There's a plus 2 damage. 1D plus 3. 6. 9. Now, he's got 2 points of armour, so that 9 is reduced to 7. 7 wounds. He had 12 to start with. 5 left. Ooh. Any wounds, that's more than half your hit points is a major wound. So, major wound to the tool, so he's going to make a health roll. Goblin has to make a health roll. Goblin's health is 11. And 14 fails that. So, failing means he's stunned and knocked down. Um, right, better check out what that means. So, the goblin falls prone. Let's put him on his side. Drops anything in his hands. Uh, so that's the shield and the knife. And that's a knockdown. And the effect of stun. Uh, he can do nothing in his next turn. He can perform an active defence while stunned, but defences are at minus four, and he can't retreat. At the end of the turn, he has to roll health to, to recover from that. Okay. Nicely done. <laughs> right, so his next go, so he has to take a do-nothing action. It's the goblin's go, as he's just been knocked down. Right, do nothing. This is going to make a health roll. 11 or less. Uh, still failed. Not good, right. Goral gets to put the boot in then, I guess. Going to do um, all that attack again. Strong. This time, 14 to attack because he's not suffering from the pain quite so badly. Here we go. That's a 12. So the goblin gets to try and dodge at minus 4. Dodges 8, which is a 4 or less to roll. Uh, no, not on that. That's a 12. Unsuccessful. So it's 1d plus 1, 1d plus 3 in total. And roll 2, which is a 5. Less 2 off the armour. It's 3. 3 more wounds brings him to 8 wounds. That's got to be bad, isn't it? Um, so I believe he's another minus three, but he's down to less than a third of his hit points now, which I believe, if I remember correctly, means he's half move. Uh, right, less than third, half basic speed move. Yep. Okay. Getting the boot in there. Goblin just gets to try and recover, 11 or less. Nine, ten. He has recovered. So the goblin can continue his next action. Um, but he's still prone right now, which is not good. Not good at all. Okay. I think I might as well go for it. All that attack. Here we go. Fourteen. So all attack strong. I'm going fourteen. I've got eleven. Fifteen is a sodding miss, but... Goyle has the luck ability. He's allowed basically once an hour to re-roll 
dice three times and take the best. So I got uh, 16 on that one. I just got 7, 8, 9 on another one and a total of 5 on another one. Awesome source. I'll take the 5 then. That's a hit. Goblin gets to defend. He's prone as his defense is reduced by minus 3. Uh, so he can only dodge really. So he needs uh, 4. He's completely failed. So 1d plus 3. Uh, that's uh, 7. Okay. That's 2. That's 5. Puts him on. 13 wounds, which is less than his total wounds. He's in negatives, he's at minus one. Zero or fewer hit points, hang on to consciousness suits, sheer willpower and adrenaline. And he must roll versus health each turn to avoid caught going unconscious. Okay, so it's gone his turn, he's got to roll health to not go unconscious. Uh, he's just failed critically on <laughs> an 18. Passed out. <laughs> Down. I guess the combat's over. All hail Goril. Yay! That was cool. Game on. Yeah, so GURPS is fun for me. I have to say I find it quite fun. I know that there's a lot of detail going on, but I'm still learning. Has to be said though that I really thoroughly enjoyed having a quick punch up, uh, a couple of punch ups actually that I've had, and it runs very smoothly. I do like that 3D6 roll low mechanic, it's kind of straightforward. Oh, I just wish I could persuade the players to come and play it. But hey, let's not be negative. I am inspired, and um, I'm going to work on that adventure, I think. That's it for another GM's Journal episode. As always, please let me know what you think and drop me an anchor voice message to share your response. My goal is to create a community of discovery about role-playing games in which you can feel accepted, whether as a player or as a game master. Come and join the conversation. In the meantime, all that's left is to wish you a fond farewell and all the best at your gaming table. My name is Che Webster. And this has been a Roleplay Rescue GM's Journal episode. See you again on the flip side. Game on.